0: Cancer Kids by Lauren A. Forey. Kim grabbed the remote and turned off the TV before any of the other parents could stop her. Hey, come on! Not fair! Sticky hands with dirty fingernails grabbed for her. But Kim leapt on top of a chair and held the remote above her head, revealing her underarm sweat stains. Excuse me, but some of us were watching that. Gina, headscarf stained from the sweat of her scalp, stood at the front of the group. Her fingernails, the red nail polish chipped, looked like bloody claws. That's all we've been doing for the last five days, Kim said. Watching. We need a break. The kids need a break. All Mia needs is a charger for her Kindle, Gina said. We need to know what's going on. All the train stations are shut. Gangs are setting up roadblocks all over the city. The mayor is about to declare martial law, but you need a break. (laughs) Yeah, okay. The others muttered their agreement. Kim nodded to the nurse's station on the other side of the glass. You think they won't tell us? You think they haven't been stuck here too? That they're not watching the news 24-7? Something happens? We'll know. You want to keep watching the news? She tossed the remote to Gina, who, not expecting it, let it bounce off her shoulder and onto the floor where it slid to a stop by yesterday's dried coffee stain. Fine. But give me a half hour, please. A half hour of silence. That's all I'm asking. Gina picked up the remote, tapped her sharp red fingernail against it, then returned it to the table in the center of the lounge. Half an hour. She returned to the ward, and one by one the other parents followed, settling back into the chairs by their children's beds. Kim climbed down, and while no one was looking, swiped the remote and removed the batteries. As she slipped the two double A's into her pocket, she spotted Dr. Bledsoe watching her through the glass. He waved for her to come out. Kim checked that Chase was still safe in his bed, then went out to meet the doctor. The hallway outside Pediatric Oncology Ward 2 smelled of urine that had been poorly wiped with a spray of Lysol, different than the fecal smell that had eked into the ward the last few days, or the rotting meat smell of the cafeteria. The whole hospital was turning sour, like a gallon of milk. From outside, it looked fine. But within, it was going bad. She could see it in Dr. Bledsoe, too. His under eye circles were darker than yesterday, and a new brown stain that may have been dried blood flecked the lapel of his white coat. Mrs. Lewis, good afternoon. Have you been able to get in touch with your husband? Not yet. But I've been trying every hour. His phone keeps going right to voicemail. I'm really worried, doctor. She made a point of looking at the computer where the nurses were streaming CNN. Part of Detroit, read the Chiron, was on fire. I understand, of course. Yes. Kim could hear the but in his voice. But... Even in these extraordinary times, hospital beds must be kept for those who need them. Chase is Chase is in remission. You can both go home. You both have to go home. I would love to, Dr. Bledsoe, if I knew how to get him safely from here all the way to Lehigh County. I know it's a few miles, but it's not a long. And if I knew that our home would be there when we got there. I'm sure it. My neighbor told me that the volunteer fire department was requisitioning the houses on our block. Dr. Bledsoe rubbed the stubble that flecked his normally clean shaven chin and wouldn't meet her eye. We need that bed, Mrs. Lewis. You and Chase can't stay here anymore. I'm sorry. Kim grabbed his coat sleeve. Can you at least give us two days, three, to figure something out? She mustered tears. Made sure he saw them. Before she could get any further reassurances, he was gone. Gina was waiting for her in the ward. Kim made a point of not reaching into her pocket for the batteries. But Gina hadn't noticed they were missing. Dr. Bledsoe cutting back Chase's treatments? Gina asked. He told me yesterday Mia would be missing her chemo today. Mia was thrilled. I didn't want to tell her that it would make her leukemia happy too. Yeah, you'd think they'd be doing more to help us. I mean, cancer kids, right? She kept on walking, the batteries rattling in her pocket. Back in their little rectangle of the ward, Chase was still glued to his Nintendo Switch The volume turned up loud. No one minded. The whole unit was filled with bleeps and blops of video games from the kids who were well enough to focus on a screen. Until the ward agreed lights off time of 8.30 p.m. They let the kids be as loud on their toys as they wanted. Kim slumped into her chair and pulled out her phone. Emails from her PR firm that didn't matter anymore. Dozens of new Facebook alerts friends and co-workers marking themselves safe from one of the thousands of incidents going on coast to coast. People checking up on her and Chase so much, she turned the phrase, still at the hospital, into an autocorrect quick text until she stopped responding altogether. And they stopped bothering to ask. She scrolled through Facebook pausing to watch a video a high school classmate posted of their local Walmart being looted. Mom, can we go? A mob knocked down an elderly man in the soup aisle. He got up once, face covered in blood before falling again. She stopped the video and returned her phone to her pocket. Chase. Hey, hey Chase, look at me. We need to pretend you're still sick. Okay? Dr. Bledsoe said, I know, but if I'm better, why can't we go? Anybody have a Snickers? Mrs. Walsh? Do you have a Snickers? No? Mr. Guarini? I'm looking for a Snickers bar. Okay, thanks anyway. Penny Salter, her hair combed into a neat ponytail, In a clean shirt washed out in the bathroom and dried with a hairdryer borrowed from one of the nurses, made her way up the ward, hands outstretched like a beggar. Mom, we will, Kim answered. Soon. But right now. Chase, you know how oatmeal always makes you sick? You mean throw up? I'm going down to the cafeteria to get you some oatmeal. And you have to eat it, okay? Mom! Don't argue. Chase grunted and went back to his game. Kim stood up and bumped right into Penny. I'm sorry, Kimberly. I didn't see you there. It's nothing. I'm fine. She tried to keep walking, but Penny stepped in front of her. You wouldn't happen to have a Snickers, would you? Sorry. Kim pretended to get a text, but Penny kept talking. I've tried the vending machines in ICU and maternity. There must be one somewhere, but the nurses won't let me in the other building. Can you believe it? It's like this place is in lockdown, but they won't actually call it a lockdown. I saw a Hershey bar in the cafeteria this morning. Parker doesn't eat Hershey's chocolates. And he really wants the Snickers. They're his favorite. Are you sure you don't have one? At the far end of the ward... The emaciated boy in a green-knit cap looked like he couldn't eat a piece of ice without throwing up, let alone a Snickers. Sorry, Penny. I wish I could help, but I can't. If I see any, I'll be sure to let you know. Thanks, Kimberly. That's so sweet of you. Penny glanced into Kim's open backpack as if expecting to catch a glimpse of a candy bar wrapper. Didn't see what she was looking for and left with a smile. When Kim was sure Penny wasn't going to double back, she tried again to leave and got as far as the ward entrance when a commotion in the hall stopped her. Everyone's attention was focused on the elevators. Someone coding? Armed looters. Then Kim heard the laughter, saw the smiles. Gina appeared at Kim's side, flicking more polish off her nails. I can't believe he showed up. I don't know if he's noble or stupid. Did you see the one-handed catch he made against Dallas two weeks ago? Gina asked. Before they postponed the season? (sighs) I'm telling you. Tatum Trask is the greatest wide receiver in the history of the NFL. Not to mention he's fine as hell. Gina craned her neck to catch a glimpse. Even my husband says so. I'm not really into football. But he seems like a decent enough guy. Kim shrugged. Certainly cheers up Parker every time he visits. They both looked down the ward to where Penny, anticipating the meet and greet, was trying to help Parker sit up. I don't know whether it feel sorry for the boy that his end is near or jealous that he won't have to live through whatever happens next, Gina said. Mia called for her mother, sitting up on her knees and waving her hands. Chase had finally put down his Nintendo. Gina and Kim retreated to their children's beds as shouts of, T.T., over here! T.T., hey, T.T., filled the ward. The six-foot-eight football star went through the ward, giving out high fives with his massive hands and flashing his bright white smile. He wore his usual designer jacket and jeans, but his large diamond studs and gold chains were nowhere to be seen. Instead, he carried an extra pair of bodyguards the size of tanks. He stopped at Mia's bed and gave her a new My Little Pony, a crate of books, plus a few jars of peanut butter, Mia's favorite food. Initially blocked from view by the bodyguards were carts of gifts, toys, clothes, sports equipment, and, most of all, food. Not just candy and cookies, but... Non refrigerated ready meals, bottles of water and Gatorade, cans of soup, and he was giving them out like Santa Claus on Christmas Eve. When he reached Chase's bed, even Kim couldn't resist his charisma and smiled at her son's enthusiasm. Hey, little man, how you doing? He gave Chase a handshake and a high five. Hey, TT, guess what? "'I'm in remission! I found out two days ago!' "'That is awesome, brother! You guys hear that?' he asked his bodyguards. "'Congratulations, man, and you too, Mrs. Lewis. Thank you, Tatum.' She kept smiling but looked around the ward to see who had heard. Gina stared at her, eyebrows raised. "'Yo, get my man here something special from the cart!' T.T. set an entire crate of food by the side of Chase's bed, then layered on a new sweatshirt and sweatpants and let Chase pick out a new game for his Nintendo Switch. He gave Chase a high five and continued down the ward, greeting the other kids and parents, handing out gifts. Did you see that, Mom? Check it out! There's a whole box of Reese's in here! Mac and cheese! Chase kept rambling while Kim kept her eyes on T.T., The extra hugs and high-fives, the gracious gifts, the food that would last a long time and could be made in just a microwave, or eaten cold if necessary. Oh, he's not coming back, she whispered. What, Mom? That's great, baby. She patted Chase on the knee. T.T. reached the last bed in the ward, Parker's and sat in a chair next to Penny. Parker was having one of his bad days. Kim could tell by the way he was already flagging when a visit from Tatum Trusk usually fueled him for hours. The last week hadn't been good for Parker. At first she thought this is why T.T. had chosen to take a seat. But Kim kept watching. While the rest of the ward distracted themselves with their gifts... Kim saw T.T. whisper in Penny's ear and nod to the door at the rear of the ward. Penny got up and followed him while the two new bodyguards posted themselves at the door. I'll be right back, Kim said, not caring if anyone actually heard her and exited through the ward's main entrance. The nurses, clinging to one another, remained glued to CNN Kim followed the hall alongside the ward and soon came to a place where the secondary door came out. Titi and Penny stood around the corner, Titi's voice low and serious. Getting the van ready now. Tomorrow night, our doctors are going to wheel him out like they're taking him for a test, okay? Penny nodded. You come with, but leave your jacket there and whatever else you would normally would. Like, if you usually leave your purse, then take out the important stuff and sneak it into your pockets. But leave your purse. She nodded again. We have everything you and Parker will need. Clean clothes, food, water, medical equipment. The drive's about four hours, but we'll make it comfortable for you both, okay? Tatum, I can't even... There's no way we can thank you for this. She started to cry. Trask pulled her into a hug. Hey, hey, it's okay. It's going to get worse out there and I can't leave you two in here while this goes down. Parker's my good luck charm. He stepped back and squeezed her shoulders. I got to finish making my rounds, but I'm going to see you guys in the van tomorrow, okay? Okay. Okay. Penny nodded and wiped her tears away. Kim pressed herself against the wall as Tatum and Penny returned to the ward through the secondary door. When she heard the door click, Kim relaxed, but didn't move. She looked down the hall to the nurse's station where, even from here, she could see on the screen someone being beaten to death. A son of a bitch, she whispered. Kim returned through the main entrance to the ward and watched Trask say his final goodbyes to the kids and their families. He was as good an actor as he was a football player. He told the kids how he'd see them next month. Didn't show Parker or Penny any special attention, not even a wink. He kept his same routine, which meant Kim knew what he would do next. Chase, I'm going to go get you that oatmeal. Chase, engrossed in his new game, didn't say anything. Rather than wait for the elevator, Kim used the stairs to get to the second floor, then ran down to the single, unisex, handicapped bathroom. Five nights of reheated chicken nugget dinners and sleeping in a plastic chair made it so that she was already out of breath as she ducked inside and hid behind the door. She covered her mouth with her sleeve to conceal her breathing. They arrived not long after. You'll just be a minute. Trask entered without checking behind the door. Kim waited until he had unzipped his pants before standing up and saying Hello Shit He jumped, urine spraying the ceiling before he managed to get himself under control. Someone knocked on the door. You okay in there, Titi? Kim pressed her finger to her lips, then mouthed Please Yeah, he replied maintaining eye contact with her. Someone forgot to flush. That's all. What are you doing in here? You want an autograph or something? Kim kept her voice to a whisper. I want to know why Parker gets a free ride out of here and where exactly that ride is taking him. Trask didn't even try to bluff. So you heard that, huh? He smiled and continued urinating into the bowl. Look, I have known Parker's family since the poor kid was diagnosed in 2017. They followed me in college. We got a special bond. He finished and zipped his jeans. Sorry, but I had to choose. How about my second question? Where are you taking him? Trask shrugged. Friend out of state. Place where we can lay low for a while, ride this thing out. He turned on the tap. This Thing? You mean the rioting and looting, the martial law? Where do you ride out something like this? He soaked up his hands. Safe place? You mean a safe house? A bunker? Trask dried his hands without answering. You've got room in a bunker and you want to waste it on Parker? He's terminal, the doctors gave him three months at most. You're wasting resources. What? So you want me to do what? Take you and your kid instead? My kid's in remission. Trask tossed the crumbled paper towel into the overflowing pile in the trash can and stepped up to Kim, towering over her. He had almost two feet on her and hands big enough to strangle her with just one. So, yeah... She continued, her voice lacking its usual conviction. That's exactly what I'm saying. Trask leaned down so they were eye to eye. I like your honesty, Miss Lewis, so I'm going to be honest with you. I'm taking Parker because he's terminal. Like you said, Docs gave him three months, probably less outside the hospital no matter how nice my place is. And it is very nice. Should be for the money I paid to get in. And because he'll die quick, he'll use less resources. Then why take him at all? What do you get out of it? Time's coming when whoever's left will form their own seat of power. will be lots of fighting, lots of upheaval. A new world's coming, and loyalty will be important. People might be loyal to you now, but they'll forget what you did on the field when sports don't matter anymore. Everybody loves a guy that rescued cancer kids. I guess even in this new world, a black man will need whatever leg up he can get, right? I mean, I'm guessing most of the people who bought bunkers like yours are old, rich, white guys, right? Probably some with hoods and MAGA hats in the back of their closets. Trask laughed, then went for the door. (laughs) See, Miss Lewis, you already knew the answers. Why even ask? He slammed the door behind him, too fast for his entourage to glimpse Kim inside. She had 24 hours. Then the van would be here to whisk Parker and Penny away to Never Never Land. Kim sat by Chase's bed as he played his new game. Her first idea had been to ambush Parker and Penny on their way to the parking garage, but that would never work. She couldn't pass herself and Chase off as Penny and Parker because Trask himself was going to be in the van. She thought of pleading her case to Penny, convince her to let her and Chase go instead, appeal to her as a mother. But that wouldn't work either. This was a woman who had refused to accept Parker's last prognosis, had screamed at the doctors that her son was going to live no matter what. If Kim wanted her and Chase on that van... She needed others. Gina stood in the lounge, smacking the TV remote, trying to get it to work. Kim went and sat next to her, surreptitiously removing the batteries from her pocket and holding them out to Gina. So, she whispered, guess what I heard Titi say to Parker's mom. Kim got through the night and the next morning the same way she got through the last five nights and the last five mornings. She remained calm, stayed by Chase's side, and planned for the next day. Like whispers down the lane, her news about Parker and Penny traveled from Gina to the other parents, while Penny and Parker sat at the end of the ward, oblivious to the pointed glances in their direction. As the hour drew nearer, Penny fiddled with her purse, removing items and slipping them into the pocket of a sweatshirt one of the orderlies had gifted her. One of the fathers paced, while another glared at Penny so much that one of the mothers elbowed him in the side to get him to stop. Kim remained in her chair, Chase's backpack hidden under his bed. Every time the elevator dinged or a nurse entered to check someone's vitals or give meds, everyone's heads turned. No one watched the muted news, or read a book, or checked their phones. At five o'clock, two unfamiliar doctors in white coats entered the ward side by side, walking in sync, heading directly for Parker. With each bed they passed, the parent beside it rose, so that by the time they reached Penny, the entire ward was on its feet, For the first time in days, the room was deathly quiet. So quiet that everyone heard the one man announce, Mrs. Salter, we're here to take Parker for some tests. Penny rose, then froze halfway when she saw every parent standing and staring. The doctors, if that's what they were, turned to see what she had already noticed. It's just some tests. The first doctor smiled. No, it's not, Kim said. Gina and the other parents joined in with the comments. Yeah, we know. We heard, and it's not fair. Penny gripped the rail of Parker's bed. If Trask can afford to take her and Parker, Kim continued, he can afford to take all of us. Voices filled the ward. Yeah, yes, my son deserves to go... My daughter! Now hang on, said the second doctor. What do you think we've been doing? Someone shouted. I don't know what you thought you heard. Trask is taking them to safety, Gina said, and leaving the rest of us to fend for ourselves. Isn't that right, Penny? Penny looked like she'd been caught on stage, unable to remember her lines. I, I, I... But she couldn't get any further. The crowd of parents pressed in. The doctors held up their hands, trying to appease them. We don't care if Penny and Parker go, said one mother. Not if we all get to, said another. He's got to have a few more vans. He's going to let my kid die here? Penny had gone mute. The doctors tried to answer their questions, but they were not the answers these parents wanted to hear. There's not enough room. There's only one van, but it's not his bunker. No one wants your child to die. We have to get going. Please let Parker through. It was one of the fathers that threw the first punch. That was Kim's cue. As the parents descended, she grabbed the backpack with one hand, Chase with the other, and ran. Nurses came at them from opposite directions, desperate to get into the ward while Kim pushed her way out. She and Chase snuck through the crush of bodies that blocked the exit. Remember what I said. She told Chase as they entered the stairwell, it's just like your video game. But though her son was in remission, his body hadn't fully recovered from his illness. He was tired and out of breath halfway down. Came through on the backpack and picked Chase up, telling him to cling to her like a monkey. She continued carefully but quickly down the remaining sets of stairs to the first level of the subterranean parking garage. When she got there, she realized what an idiot she was. The garage was three levels deep, with eight sections per level, and she had no idea where the van would be waiting. Chase's cheek pressed to hers. She held back an F-bomb and started scanning the garage. Parker would have been brought down in his bed or transferred to a wheelchair. He was too ill to walk or to be carried, so they would have had to use an elevator. But the A elevators or the B elevators? She closed her eyes and pictured the ward. Which would be the fastest path from the pediatric oncology to the parking garage? She opened her eyes and ran for the A elevators, but there was no van in sight. Shit, shit, bad word, Mom. Sorry, baby, she said automatically, focused on the parking garage, hoping she had missed seeing the van, that it was here, but it wasn't. She would have to check level two, then level three, and in the meantime, would anyone notice she was missing? Would Penny and Parker somehow manage to get out? She started back for the stairs, then stopped and cursed again. But this time, she didn't apologize. She had lost her sense of direction in the parking garage. The A elevators weren't closest to the ward. The B elevators were. She ran in the opposite direction. As the B elevators came into view, so did a large silver Mercedes van, its back doors open awaiting passengers. As soon as Kim approached, Trask himself appeared in the back. Hell no, Mrs. Lewis, no extra room. They're not coming. She let Chase slide from her arms, making sure T.T. could see his tired face, and held out her phone The recording started when T.T.'s doctors entered the ward and ended with the first punch. They're not coming, Kim repeated. But your noble ass can still save a cancer kid. Mom. Shh, baby. Please, T.T., you want to take charge in that bunker? You want to be one of the leaders when we eventually get out? You need more than a PR ploy. You need a PR professional which I just happen to be. And like it or not, it'll help your case with all those rich white men that I'm white, too. Mom, you know what'll happen after Parker dies? People will forget about him, just like they'll forget about your one-handed catch against Dallas two weeks ago. People always forget. You want your heroism to be in the forefront of people's minds for the next few months? Years? You need a living, breathing relic of everything you accomplished during this tumultuous and tragic time. Not a fucking picture in a scattered-brained mother of a dead kid. She could see him considering. He looked from her to Chase, then whispered to the other men in the van. Mom? What Chase? She hissed, squeezing his hand. Is Mia coming too? She looked down at Chase and followed his line of sight across the parking garage. Gina was running towards them, dragging Mia behind her with one hand, a purse slung over her shoulder. Stop! Wait! Gina's voice bounced through the concrete garage. Titi was about to close the doors on them all, but Kim shoved Chase into the van before he could. I didn't invite her. Kim glared, guessing what was on Trask's mind. T.T. took one more look at Chase then helped him the rest of the way inside. PR, huh? Then he held out his hand and helped Kim in as Gina, screaming, got closer. Once Kim was inside, T.T. yanked her towards him and whispered in her ear, But you work for me from now until the end of the world, whenever that is. Understood? Gina was only 20 yards away. Understood. Kim closed the doors herself. You bitch! The back of the van was windowless, sheets of steel covering where the windows would have been. But the seats were soft black leather, like the inside of a limo. Near the front was a recliner with an attached IV stand that must have been meant for Parker. Kim strapped Chase in as the unseen van driver backed out of the space. They could still hear Gina screaming. She cursed Kim and Trask from here to hell and back. Kim saw the tears on Chase's face. It's going to be okay, baby. We're on our way home just like you wanted. Fists pounded on the outside of the van as the driver maneuvered out of the space. Mom, what about Mia? Chase asked. Suddenly, the van lurched and the passengers were shunted forward as a thump sounded from underneath the tires. A heavy silence descended. Kim kept her eyes locked on Chase, remembered how to breathe. A wailing sounded outside the van. The van reversed. Kim put on a smile. Mia is going to be fine. Do you want your Nintendo? Chase shook his head. No. The wailing diminished only because the van sped on, weaving up the ramps to the surface level. T.T. and his entourage, silent, buckled themselves into the seats. But Kim stayed crouched by Chase, squeezing his hand and brushing her fingers through his hair. She wanted to tell him about all the wonderful things that would be at their new home. An Xbox, and a PS4, Doritos, and Reese's peanut butter cups. As much root beer as he could drink. And his own room that he could decorate however he wanted. But all she could think about was the bump under the tires and the silence that followed. Until the van slowed to a stop 15 minutes later. T.T. pressed an intercom button and spoke to the driver. Bo, why are we stopping? Roadblock up ahead. There wasn't supposed to be a roadblock here. I know that, T." Then go around, find another route. There was a pronounced pause before the driver spoke again. I can't go around, T. Trask ran his hand over his head, bounced his knee. His entourage exchanged glances. Kim closed her eyes and held Chase's hand as the van began to rock, fists hitting it like hail. She pulled Chase close and whispered, Pretend you're sick. Lauren A. Forey was brought up in the woods of Bucks County, Pennsylvania, where her FBI father and her book-loving mother raised her on a diet of the X-Files and R. L. Stein. Her debut novel, Abigail Hall, a Gothic horror, is available now from Black and White Publishing and Sky Horse Publishing. Her short stories have appeared in multiple anthologies, including The X-Files, Secret Agencies. She currently resides somewhere in the woods. Amy Weaver is an actress, writer, and voiceover artist living in Los Angeles. Her background in improv comedy inspired Amy to begin creating original material, including writing and starring in digital content for Funny or Die and the TV pilot A Temporary Life. Other works include performances in The Office, Modern Men, Significant Others, and numerous national commercials. Find her at Amy Weaver Tweets and as a voice on Brick Moon Fiction Podcasts on iTunes.